0: Welcome to The Quest. My name is Alan Mulhan. This episode in early March 2022 is taking place in the shadow of a turning point in history where war has been unleashed on European soil and nuclear threats to humanity have come out of the bunker and are on the launch pad once again. Scarcely has the pandemic abated, a little, than the next horseman of the apocalypse comes into view. I shall address these matters more closely when I examine the military crisis of our time shortly. For the moment, this episode on the spiritual crisis of our time, which has been scheduled for some time, will now proceed, but in deep sorrow and distress, for those suffering the brutality of current events. To summarise the argument so far, episode 64 explored the origins of consciousness ...from a mytho-psychological angle... ...based on the view that consciousness projects itself into creation myths. Episode 65 presented the concept of imminence as the underlying philosophy... ...that a vast intelligence is within the evolutionary process. It is beyond the good, the benign or any moral projection we put into it. It is presented, similar to Shiva in Hindu philosophy... ...as a combination of opposites a process of creative destruction. This is a cosmic principle and therefore manifest in nature, all life forms, human nature and even societies. In this sense, all life and human consciousness is an evolution of this creative destructive spirit which manifests and evolves higher orders of complexity, intelligence and consciousness and then dissolves them. Episode 66 suggested a summary account of human nature using a mixture of Jungian analytical psychology plus our knowledge of the evolution of the human brain from paleoanthropological studies. That is the study of human evolution through the fossil and archaeological records. The first four interacting and evolved components of human nature were outlined. Instincts, emotional structure, ego-consciousness and the unconscious. Today's episode presents the fifth component, higher consciousness. We also mention again the archetype of the self, big S. Let's begin by looking at the possible emergence of something higher in our nature, in the depths of our hominid past, that is, in the ancestry of ourselves, Homo sapiens. Do we have any hint of an impulse for care or for love in our ancestors? Well, actually, there is some evidence of care of the sick, and therefore potential altruism, perhaps even of love, in early hominids, that is, before the emergence of Homo sapiens. Homo erectus was the most enduring of hominids, and lived from around 2 million years ago, up to around 500,000 years ago in Africa, and as late as 117 thousand years ago in Indonesia. Now there exists 1.5 million year old bone fragments of a Homo erectus female with an advanced state of hypervitaminosis A. This is a lethal and extremely painful disease of the bone. An advanced state of the disease could never have been reached unless this individual had not received considerable care from someone else. She could not have been just abandoned to die, since the evidence of the bone is that she was very ill indeed and would have been immobile. Perhaps a mate or a child took care of her. Closer to our time, there is a 530,000-year-old deformed skull of a child found in Spain which may indicate that some early humans, prior to Homo sapiens, must have nurtured and cared for a disabled member of their tribal family. This child, estimated to be 10 years old at the time of death, had a debilitating birth defect called craniosynostosis, in which the joints in the skull fuse before the brain has finished growing. The disorder increases pressure in the skull, impairing brain development. Ana Gracia, a paleoanthropologist based in Madrid, who published an analysis of the skull in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in 2009, wrote It is amazing that this child was able to survive until 10 years old. This is the most ancient proof of social care of the handicapped, Many mammals kill burdensome offspring. This child, unearthed in the Atapuerca mountains of Spain, belonged to the species Homo heidelbergensis, probably the antecedents of Homo neandertals, and was probably part of a small tribe of hunter-gatherers who migrated in response to food and weather. Gracia says... Survival would have been difficult even for healthy individuals. The incredible part of this story is that the parents must have looked after this child. The discovery was made in Cime de los Huesos, the Pit of the Bones, located at the bottom of a 137 foot deep chimney inside a cave. The pit is littered with remains of ancient animals and also includes about 28 hominid skeletons. Dating back to the middle Pleistocene, that is to say about a million years ago. While it is gratifying to see some potential evidence of care, kindness, and possibly love in early humans, prior to Homo sapiens, this particular find, dated at over half a million years ago, shows in the mass of bones in the pit that many of them had been murdered, as evidenced by the damage to their craniums. Yes, love and hatred in the same hominid cave system how like our own species it is striking how the dual theme of creation and destruction is not only in the cosmos but in the homogeneous from the beginning on the positive side there is a glimmering then of care for the sick in the hominid lineage prior to ourselves could this be a form of love and some moral principle emerging from it perhaps later. For example, not to let one's child or mother die the cruel or brutal death. That was the fate of so many. Homo sapiens evolved over 200,000 years ago. However, the first tangible evidence we currently possess of the potential, as it were, a whisper of higher consciousness is intentional burial with symbolic objects and these are dated at around 100,000 years ago. There is archaeological evidence for intentional human burial with symbol use at around 100,000 years ago at Kafsa in Israel, where, quote, the remains of as many as 15 individuals were found in a cave, along with 71 pieces of red ochre and ochre-stained stone tools. The ochre was found near the bones, suggesting ritual. Ochre was often used in ritual processes by early Homo sapiens. Unquote. That's from the Smithsonian Natural History Museum. Ochre is a pigment of deep red. With respect to Neanderthals who coexisted with us in the early years, there is evidence for intentional burial of some of their dead but there is little evidence, if any, for ritual objects within their graves. Tattersall, in 1995, writing a book on the subject, concludes that this species did occasionally have burials, but without the ritual and symbolic behaviour that characterised Homo sapiens' burial practices. While the latest evidence is that Homo sapiens emerged in East Africa, around or before 200,000 years ago, Apart from the existence of burial with symbolic objects just mentioned, there is little evidence of the development of our species until 50,000 years before present. Human population numbers were very low before that, sometimes at almost extinction level, and this is a small time window to find solid archaeological evidence. Thus we don't know at the moment at what point robust ego consciousness emerged. The likelihood is that Homo sapiens with a 30% larger brain, compared to Homo erectus, had significantly greater accomplishments in tool-making, construction, weaponry and so on, but that our ego consciousness developed over the next 150,000 years. By the great leap forward, as it's called, of around 50,000 years ago, we, that is modern humanity, are decisively present. At any rate, this is... Quite a fast development by paleoanthropological standards, considering the completely revolutionary potential of ego consciousness. But it's around 40,000 years ago that we have its first decisive expression in the famous Paleolithic cave paintings in modern day Spain and France, as well as caves in Germany with sculpted objects. For example, the Lion Man near Ulm in southern Germany that is, a carving of a man with a lion's head. It's around thirty-five to 40,000 years ago. The Altamira Cave in northern Spain, where paintings were completed over 20,000 years ago, perhaps even starting as early as 36,000 years ago in some of them. The Chauvet Cave in southern France. That was around thirty to 32,000 years ago. Very interesting film by Werner Herzog, on this subject of the Chauvet Cave, called Cave of Forgotten Dreams, and the Lascaux Cave in Montignac at Dordogne in southwest France, with the most famous cave paintings of all, dated around seventeen thousand years ago. We also have the Vogelhurt Cave with miniature sculptures made of mammoth ivory, which rank among the oldest works of art of mankind. Also various Venuses or female depictions, perhaps goddesses, perhaps worshipping reproduction, of which the most famous is the Venus of Lauselle in southwest France, who holds a horn of cornucopia with 13 marks upon it, perhaps symbolising the phases of the moon and of the female menstrual cycle, thus linking concepts together which may point to, to birth, reproduction, both in the human being and in the universe. This is located in southwest France, at 25,000 years ago. Higher consciousness consists of those components of the human psyche, apparently superfluous to our physical survival, that demonstrate extraordinary aspects of our psyche, such as its capacity for art, literature and spiritual expression. It is linked to centres of the psyche that have unusual powers, such as those of illumination and intuition. The higher self is a force within human beings that compels some people to give up the main elements of their personality and their life, as it was known, put aside their ego interests and aim for something higher, constituting a conviction that the transcendent exists and humans can achieve it. The most frequent reason for such extraordinary efforts is an inner drive to provide a response to personal suffering overcome the fragmentation of conscious existence and undergo the eternal journey of transformation. The higher self, intensely experienced, is an ecstatic shattering of the ego and an awareness of a transpersonal reality. It leads to the conviction that the transcendent exists not only outside but within also. It relativizes the ego self, the appetites of our animal inheritance and leads to our true centre. Higher consciousness, in evolutionary terms, comes into existence at the same time as the alienation of the psyche, as a result of the birth of the ego, is experienced. Ego intelligence, individualised consciousness and personality, break the previous embeddedness, which fragments and splits into different components, producing an alienated and repressed being. At the same time, this being becomes traumatically aware of death. The self, the inner archetype of order, pushes for the repair of this division and encourages closer contact with the higher self. It aims to replace ego and personality interests, the old self, with the newly emerging self which heals the wounds of its own division. The higher self replaces or modifies the dominance of consciousness, traumatised by death awareness. The archetype of the self lies in the unconscious, but insofar as it rises into consciousness and becomes expressed and experienced, it transforms into the higher self. At the centre of the human psyche is this self, the central archetype of order, a directive function orchestrating the development of personality. There is an ordering principle, a natural healing intelligence, a guiding centre in the unconscious that can be contacted by many means, including dreams or simply by truly listening to oneself. The task of the mature ego is to adapt to this inner centre. This alignment to the deep centre is necessary for the individuation process in Jungian psychology. The natural healing intelligence of the psyche is capable of repairing emotional damage and exists at all levels of the psyche, within the emotional or personal unconscious and also in the deep psyche, where the Hindus, for example, refer to such centres as chakras. It can also be deliberately activated, for example, in meditative awareness, trance states, fasting experiences, near-death experiences and the like. We do not classify the self as a sixth component of human nature since it pervades the whole psyche from top to bottom determining its development and growth. It arises out of a biological intelligence and is a natural core integrative intelligence transcending individual or separate components of the psyche. The ego may think it is master in its own house but this is an illusion. Dreams, for example, are created by the self which constructs highly compact, richly symbolic narratives full of personal meaning that are at first scarcely comprehensible to ego-consciousness. The crucial aspect is that dreams have a personal moral dimension, not of law or religion, but of psychological and spiritual growth. They are often witty, condensed, multi-layered, and only truly accessible when the analytic consciousness is switched off and a looser, intuitive, symbolic and feeling-orientated consciousness takes over. This is the psychological and spiritual growth process that guides human beings through conflict and towards higher development. The world's religions, myths and fairy tales, a great deal of drama, poetry, literature, music and artistic expression are vehicles of symbolic communication for this development of the self the evolved essence of Homo sapiens. In summary, the psyche has multiple centres of activity, healing intelligence, as well as the central ordering archetype of the self. Our human nature is, then, a mixture of different components, animal, emotional, conscious and unconscious, as well as a higher self. The origin of human negativity, our darkness or badness, may lie in creaturely selfishness, But in its magnified form, our human negativity and even evil is the distortion of certain animal instincts and behaviour patterns as they filter through the heightened vulnerability and potentially damaged layers of human consciousness. However, at the core of human nature is a remarkable function, the self, that is an inner director of the psyche, just as there is a bodily intelligence that from the moment of inception is director of the development process from fertilisation to full human growth. The human problem is that, given its complex, combinatory nature, some parts of the psyche, especially the ego, may ignore, deny or repress this natural intelligence. Moreover, while the self exists within human individuals, it does not concretely exist for the human collective as a whole, which instead has to organise itself via law, morals, reason, or sometimes its appetites. While individuals therefore have the possibility of an inner corrective function and healing intelligence, society has few of such automatic corrective mechanisms. The collective, that is society or civilization as a whole, can destroy itself if it is mistaken in its reasoning, policies or organisation. Human nature exists then at different levels. The first purpose of human consciousness is to fulfil each of these in a balanced manner. However, the complexity of this system is an uneasy combination and the ego level tends to replace and even repress lower levels. The fulfilment of our creaturely or animal existence requires the meeting of our needs for security, food and reproduction. These factors shade into basic human emotions that deeply influence human character. For instance, early attachment, which is centred on the mother-infant relationship. Very similar to that of primates. Disruptions to this create disturbances in later growth, both in primates and humans. John Bowlby's theories of early attachment form one of the central platforms for understanding later character and behavioural disturbance. The fulfilment of our emotional needs is a vital part of human growth. A mature and complete human being has a wide range of emotions, aliveness, and vitality. These are especially important in engaging in relationships, both of intimacy and friendship. The first system of thought to view human emotionality comprehensively has been psychoanalysis, followed by a wide range of psychotherapies. Those who have suffered damage in infancy or birth frequently have problems with their emotional structure. There exists many techniques to facilitate emotional healing, but there also exists an inner intelligence in the psyche capable of self-healing. Ego formation is the development of a distinct, individualised consciousness, plus a personality formation, like a fingerprint uniquely characterising each human being. An enormous labour is invested by most parents, not only on the physical survival of their children, but in the development of their ego formation. By this means, children are given maximum chance for both survival and self-development, and hopefully happiness which often means the ensuring of their ability to have relationships, to reproduce and pass on their genes. The ego formation usually serves the needs of creaturely existence. It just employs more efficient and rational ends to achieve them. In David Hume's famous aphorism, quote, reason is and ought only to be the slave of the passions, unquote. David Hume was a philosopher of the 18th century. However, the dominance of ego-consciousness comes at a high cost to our sense of harmony, since while serving the long-term needs of the id, our instinctual foundation for gratification, it acts as a repressive mechanism. On the one hand, as Freud argued, this controls the id's short-term and immediate demands, But on the other, the ego also represses and filters out higher consciousness. The world's religions consistently argue that the ego is an obstacle to spiritual growth. Although the distinguishing features of Homo sapiens are often claimed to be the use of reason and the development of personality, these are only part of our nature. Psychoanalysis is really the first discipline to bring into scientific focus the existence of the unconscious. From the 20th century onwards, with the impact of our knowledge of the unconscious, human nature must be viewed differently compared to any prior historical period. The purpose of human maturation is to bring unconscious contents into consciousness, as Freud noted, where it was, their ego shall be. As well as our instinctual needs emotional requirements, and rational development. There are also components of our nature which frequently require development. These include aesthetic and purely symbolic creations, which have no survival value. These are referred to in these pages as the higher self. Although potentially existing throughout our species, this component is not like instincts that are nearly universally experienced. The connection and ability to experience the higher self is not spread evenly in human population. Nevertheless, it is particularly expressed by certain individuals who, if they do not activate and live this part of themselves, become, as it were, spiritually crippled. This particularly applies to those who have suffered intense emotional suffering and need to find the healing energy in the higher self, especially its transcendent capacity, since normal healing intelligence in the rest of the psyche is impeded physical and biological evolution have an inherent movement towards greater complexity and intelligence the emergence of consciousness in animals and its flowering into self-consciousness and advanced intelligence in humans is part of this evolution this is an intelligence or spirit inbuilt coexistent and co-emergent in evolution itself It too seems to have purpose and direction. Human consciousness is the current stage of development of this process on Earth. This consciousness is the first to be aware, not only of itself, but of the planet and its life. It's also the first, at least on this Earth, to reflect back, to hold a small and misty mirror to the spirit that has evolved this creation. It is often asked what is the purpose of human existence, the meaning of this consciousness we are blessed with, as if there is something we need to do, or as if we are going somewhere. Yet the most significant acts of higher consciousness, transcendence, gnosis, or enlightenment have been going nowhere, doing nothing, at least in the observable world. It's as if they have stopped or gone to a motionless centre of the turning wheel. In the presence of this extraordinary self-awareness lies everything we seek.